0: This episode contains content that some listeners may find upsetting. So please do check the podcast description for more details. And as always, look after you.
1: We had four sessions and they absolutely changed They saved my life and changed my life. And I think the important bit is the change Mm -hmm. because I've saved my life a couple of times. You know, Scott saved my life in the caravan. A couple of times I've, I've picked myself up and it's been fine. It's the changing of my life that was the important bit for me.
0: Hello and welcome to another Human Givens podcast. I'm Jay Baker and I'm part of the Human Givens team. And today I'm going to be talking to Hannah Phillips. Hannah's a writer, a mental health activist and founder of Wonderful Women, a concept that brings together inspiring women through live events, blogs and podcasts. Until recently, Hannah worked for Run Wales, supporting and encouraging people across Wales to take up running. She's the author of No Run Intended, a book that charts her relationship with running and indeed with herself along the way. Hannah's written and talked extensively about her own experiences of mental health difficulties and she's a relentless campaigner, particularly for Big Moose, a charity helping those struggling with their mental health and through whom Hannah found support. Hannah regularly talks about her experiences and the importance of getting the right to help and we're really lucky to have her with us today to talk about her story and the journey that took her to Big Moose and where it's taken her since. So welcome Hannah, it's great oh. to have you on the podcast today. Thank you, I'm very excited. <laughs> so- let's start at the beginning where did it all start for you Hannah? Um, <laughs> how long have we got <laughs>
1: Um, I think I've always suffered with my mental health and I say suffered because I mean I've got a very different view of it now but I've come out the other end so to speak but I was a, a troubled child I'd say like I didn't sleep as a kid at all and I was dragged back and forth to the doctors, the clinics, and I just wouldn't sleep. I didn't sleep until I had like severe bronchitis when I was 15. And then I sort of caved into it. But like on reflection now, I didn't sleep because of, I it turned out I had OCD. And right. the routines and the rituals I had to go through to go to sleep, I just thought it was easier not to sleep. Because I never told anybody that and nobody picked up on it. So it wasn't until I was in my 20s Did I get diagnosed? Right. So I, um, and it's funny, like there's lots of things coming back now because obviously I'm I'm learning so much about everything at the moment, which we'll get on to. It's funny because I was listening to the OCD stories, which is a podcast all about OCD. And there was a a boy on there who, he wouldn't get in the bath because he was afraid, he'd convinced himself there was a shark in the bath as a kid. And it only occurred to me that I would only walk down the stairs in a certain way. For years and years All guy folks would turn up At the end of the hallway Gosh And nobody picked up on that At all And I didn't tell anybody Because I thought everybody Had these little quirks You know That they had to open the door A certain way Or And the bedtime was a big one Because Like as we know Sleep is so important And I Obviously I was probably Like in a bit of a state Because I was so tired Mm. But bedtime If I didn't do These certain things In a certain way Which took forever I was convinced My parents would die and the, the funny one, they, I used to add to it. So there would be certain things that would happen and I'd add to it. And the one then, my auntie had like a gallbladder problem and I had to do, I had to like flip my pillow for her. Otherwise the gallbladder would have been like disastrous. Yeah. So it was like, and then as I got older, things would add. So I'd have to do things for my parents. I'd have to do things for my auntie, Chrissy. And then it'd be like someone I did on the news. There was, um caravan fire and I had to sort of like (laughs) this is crazy I had to sort of tap the bed in a certain way or these people would have another caravan fire and this went on for so long
0: without any recognition so it just built and built you know it was just just adding more and more things yeah must have been absolutely exhausting and and hugely time-consuming and obviously eating massively into that sleep window yeah yeah pretty terrifying as well by the sounds of it
1: I just thought it was normal. I thought everybody did this. And I remember saying to my mom once we were in the car and I used to like we there was a certain route we'd have to go to my uncle's. And I used to pretend that there were monkeys on each lamppost and they'd have to twist round, flip around mm-hmm. each lamppost and jump to the next one. And if they didn't do it on that stretch of road, something terrible was going to happen at my uncle's. And I remember saying to my mom about this This was the only time I spoke about it And my mom said to me Oh, when I was a kid I used to think that there was blades At the side of the car And it would cut the grass So okay. I just assumed I put that into my sort of like pocket And thought, well, no Everybody does these things Yeah, 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 yeah. So I mean, I mean my mom's got her own mental health issues So she might, she might have undiagnosed OCD
0: there somewhere But it, uh, Yeah, it's a fun, funny old thing So so you lived with this from quite an early age Can you remember when that first started? No, I have no memory of when it started So I must
1: have been very young I think my mum started taking me to the doctors with sleep about four Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And then they hope, uh, yeah, it must have been about four Because I remember they pinned all my hopes on me going to primary school From nursery to primary school, I'll tire her out and she'll sleep Mm -hmm. And it it didn't (laughs) (laughs) I didn't. I went without sleep for so
0: long. It's quite frightening. So the impact of many years of short sleeping and of having these constant controlling thoughts in your head from OCD, taking right up into your adolescent years, how did that impact you during your teenage years? Adolescence was
1: a a really very difficult time for me. So my mum was sectioned the day before my 13th birthday. And I remember she's suffered all her life and she'd been in and out of the hospital. But the one before my 13th birthday was quite significant. She was in for a really long time. My dad, he's passed away now, but he was pretty useless to be fair. And that period of like, I think it was six months she was in for. And it just changed everything. Absolutely everything. And that's when I think the cracks started to become deeper. So it wasn't just the tapping and things then. So she, I remember really disliking myself after that for a really, really long time. And then when I got about 15, 16, I started drinking. Okay. And then that was probably another era of, (laughs) of chaos. So what I thought looking back was probably you know I'm from the southeast valleys we all drink an awful lot it's, it's a massive part of our culture and what I saw and believed was normal a normal drinking and normal alcohol relationship really wasn't and it's only now I'm sort of coming to terms with all that because I'd Drink with the girls like we all did. I would never know when to stop. I was always the last one out, and I was always the last one out and the first one out the next day. But I would go home and hurt myself a lot of the time. And then that started creeping in then when I wasn't drinking. I remember coming home from school. And this is, you know, we'd be young, like A levels, mm. and there'd be no one in the house because my, my dad wasn't absolutely, da- it was it's really quite humorous to look back because he was an absolute idiot. He was like a small time criminal, really. When we looked back, it seemed harmless at the time, but I'd go back and often the house would be empty because he had been arrested or, or whatnot. Uh, the house would have been raided and my mum would have been goodness knows where. And I used to come home and I remember being in my uniform and, and cutting my arms. And, and again, I thought I was massively seeking attention and I thought that was what I was trying to do. And then I was more mortified that that was happening. And nobody knew that. I covered I covered my arms for years and years and years. And my legs. My legs have got like some really nasty scars. and Because I remember trying to rationalise with myself. I was like, it can't be an attention thing because you would show people. You know, I was mortified. Mm. Every time I did it, I was absolutely mortified and just couldn't get to grips. And it was only when I did. And I know I'm probably spoiler alert here. But it was only when I came on the, the self-harm arm more jail with human givens did I realise the significance of, of what, what had gone on you know it was a massive life-changing moment for me then understanding what had gone on. So how did
0: that obviously you know you you went through a, a really disrupted time in your childhood and your adolescence and had a number of different challenges as your whole family did at that time but the impact on you was you know exacerbating the OCD behaviour, increase alcohol consumption and and you know ultimately leading to self harm which as i understand became quite embedded within your your way of life and an embedded coping mechanism for you so is that something that i know when you came on the the self harm training last year you said that was a a day that had really shifted something for you how did that reframe all of that experience for you
1: i think with all of it and Again, spoiler alert, I had to have some therapy and this is why I'm, you know, I'm a massive advocate for human givens because I had some human given therapy and when we unpicked it all, you know, I've just been so unkind to myself, Mm. so horrible, you know, like I wouldn't treat my worst enemy like I've treated myself and it was a massive thing to come to terms with. And then when I really, you know, when we, when I was happy listening to why people hurt themselves, you know, and there's still a massive stigma that it is, you know, angry teenagers that slice their skin and things. I mean, this went on, I was with Scott, so I was, just before we got married was probably the last time I hurt myself. You know, this, this isn't, or you know, it's never an attention thing. Never, ever. And I think it's quite frightening that that's what we've been led to believe. Mm. You know, all right, perhaps people do cut and show themselves, which again is another, le- you know, it's another level, but it's never for attention or it might be for attention because they you know, it's not being, these needs not being met. And it's Absolutely. As as that. You
0: know, and we always say, don't we, that, you know, all behaviour is an attempt to get needs met. It's about looking at what needs are, are not being met. So if we, you know, if we go back to obviously a huge amount of impact on your life, how did you reach the point where you knew that you needed to get some help?
1: So it's obviously been a really turbulent journey and we, you know, we've missed quite a big bit out with we had a couple of miscarriages and that all added to the the fun of the mental health and in the summer of 2021 it was the May that I stopped drinking and I think and I'm really keen to just keep spreading this message I stopped drinking and immediately thought my life was going to be amazing and it really wasn't because what they what they don't tell you about when you stop drinking is that you've got to sit with absolutely everything you've been numbing So I'd been numbing this for well over 20 years And all of a sudden that coping mechanism is completely gone I went through probably one of the most vulnerable, horrible times of my life So I I stopped drinking in the May And I was absolutely adamant that was the last time Because I just couldn't, I couldn't do it to my girls I've got these three lovely, beautiful, perfect little girls And they didn't deserve a map who was only half there and again, it's really important to say everybody's relationship with alcohol is very different. There's not one path the same. I'm all for the wine culture with mums. If some moms need to come home and have a glass of wine, I totally get that. I wasn't just having one glass of wine, no. I was having an awful lot of wine and then it continued. And then I, you know, I'd want to kill myself. Mm-hmm. So I stopped drinking in the May. And then by the July, I was just dealing with that without even knowing, really dealing yeah. with. So much trauma and hurt and discomfort that I thought I have gone nowhere else to turn, and we've got a touring caravan in West Wales, and we have these lovely weekends. And I said to Scott on the Saturday night, um, "I'm going to go home tomorrow, if you don't mind." And he was like, "Why?" And I was like, "I'm I'm going to go home, and I need you to look after the girls." And he was like, I don't understand. I was like, you just need to promise me that you look after the girls. And obviously I must have seen something in me. And thank goodness he didn't let me go home because, you know, that would have been the absolute end. I had a plan. I was I had nowhere else to go, in my opinion. Mm. And he wouldn't let me go, thankfully. And he bought us some time. I don't think Scott will ever realize that he did that. You know, when he, he saved my life, really. And then about a week later, I walked into Big Moose. So Big Moose is a cafe in Cardiff that I'm in to leave the world in a better place. So I've been on and off working with them for years because they have this massive running community. Um, they've got these lovely white and orange spotty tops. And wherever there's a race, you'll see hundreds of these people fundraising for big moves. So I've known Jeff and Chloe with the, the father daughter team, Ben the Cathy, for a really long time now. And I walked into a meeting with Jeff and they're really intuitive people. And you can't buy that. And I said something really flippant Like, oh, I wish we could have therapy I wish everybody I wish we were like Americans Because Americans have, have therapists And nail technicians And it's the most natural thing in the world I remember Jeff asking me, was I okay? And I was like, yeah, I am absolutely fine You know, I am swimmingly good sort of thing And he was like, Han, we we've got a provision And I'd be really interested on your thoughts in it And I was like, oh Right. He was like, right, we were offering this therapy to anyone who might need it, which is, you know, interesting that you've just made that comment. And I was like, oh, that's brilliant. Well done. You know, And he was like, do you want some therapy? And I was like, absolutely not. No way. You use that on people who need it, you know. And he sold it to me in a way. He was like, well, listen, even though you don't need it, it'd be really beneficial for me if you could have some therapy and then we can talk about the provision and and what needs to be done because I know you're a massive mental health advocate and things like this. And I was like, oh, yeah, I can do that. That's no problem. So a couple of days later, I think it was like two days later, Graham, who's a human-given therapist, called me. And I went in the garden to speak to him and I just broke down I don't think I've ever cried like that before. And I just remember thinking I'm in the garden. I hope no one, you know, we live in a terraced house. So I feel really hope my neighbors are not listening. And he, Graham said something to me, listen, you're not broken. You know, you don't need fixing. What you need is some help. Mm. And he was like, I can, I can help you, but you're going to have to work. And he was like, I will hold your hand and I will walk on this path as long as you need me to. And I think it was the first time Anybody had phrased anything like that to me. Mm. You know, I've been in and out of the system since I was probably about 15 and not once has anybody said that to me that you know I'm going to come with you but you were going to have to do the work. You know, I've gone yeah. to the doctor. I remember going to the doctors once and saying I think I'm going to kill myself and he told me I should take up exercise. And I was like, I run I run marathons. I already do this. I run, you know, I run four times a week, big distances and it's not enough. So he prescribed me Fluxitine, you know. Mm-hmm. So when Graham said that, you know, again, because I've been on the call, co- you know, just the imagery of me and him walking on this path. I was like, bingo, I've got Graham it's fine. And we had four sessions and they absolutely changed. They saved my life and changed my life. And I think the important bit is the change. Mm-hmm. Because I've saved my life a couple of times, you know. Scott saved my life in the caravan a couple of times. I've I've picked myself up, and it's been fine. Mm-hmm. It's the changing of my life that was the important bit for me.
0: So, so how you know you said you've been in and out of the system a number of times over the years. How was the human given therapy different?
1: I'd never I've never been offered therapy or counselling. Okay, I'd been put into the crisis team once, and they told me perhaps it was my boyfriend. I was about 19. I'd cut myself really badly and he had found me, probably the first person to ever see. And he had panicked and I'd gone to the I promised I'd go to the doctors and the doctors put me straight into the crisis team. And I was like, I just I just don't know. And they said, well, maybe maybe try a new boyfriend. (laughs) And, you know, to be fair, he wasn't the problem. I was the Mm -hmm. problem. I just didn't know how to deal with anything. And then every doctor, you know, like I said, like, try running, try your diet, which again, massive, massive help. Definitely. You know, it all needs to sit. I've got this idea now that I'm a table. So I've got four legs. One is water. One is movement. One is sleep. One is food. And all those legs need to be okay for me to hold anything on that table. So I get that these pillars need to be strong, you know, Mm -hmm. but it's not always enough you know, sometimes you need a supplement. So yeah. how did human given therapy supplement
0: that? I
1: started to understand what was going on. I started to work out what needs weren't being met. Mm-hmm. You know, I started to understand what was sort of trauma that was still playing a, a significant part in who I was today to who I thought I was, you know, and I We just unpicked everything and, and one of the most useful things He said to me, well he said two things First of all he said, I'm going to People like you sometimes need to borrow a brain like mine Just to untangle some stuff And I was like, oh my God, thank you so much I'm so grateful for your brain <laughs> And then he said to me I said, oh, but, 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 You know, it's always a but When you're in the middle of like a, a depressive mm. episode It's but, you know, you're trying to fight And he said to me, listen That's just an unhelpful imagination and I had never heard that phrase before. And mm-hmm. I was like, what do you mean? He was like, well, do you think that's going to happen? I was like, well, probably not. And he was like, exactly. That's unhelpful imagination. That's making your body, you know, tense up and get into anxiety. Mm-hmm. And he was like, it's fine. And Graham's South African and laid back as well. So I was like, and I'm like, blah, blah, blah. and he's like, Hannah, it's just unhelpful imagination. And I was like, oh my God. If someone had told me that at 17, things would have been very different. Mm. So it's just the education around it all. Yeah. You know, I and we as a, as a society, as a, you know, a species, and we overcomplicate it massively, you know, and that's not to say that there's answers for everything because there's certainly not. But there's a lot of research backed up in why, you know, you might be behaving in that way or you might be feeling that way. And I think... The minute I started learning, I think I said to you, or it might have been Gareth, I just feel, every time I learn something human-givens-wise, that my brain has been sliced open and cleansed and put back in. And it's like, right, okay, yeah, that makes so much sense.
0: I think it's that understanding, isn't it, to help to, you know, the human us organizing idea to help to make sense of our own experiences and our own thought processes. And I think when we understand that we have these incredible Resources that we we're born with, but we also have the ability to misuse those resources as well, which is obviously what Graham was talking about there. And as I said, you know, all behavior is an attempt to get needs met, but if we're misusing the resources to get those needs met yes. because we don't know how to use those resources in a healthy way, then we can become mentally unwell. And I think through, you know, through human givens therapy, that's a, you know, an absolutely key part of the model and of the approach is that educational part. And, you know, obviously, as you said, you know, Gareth and I, are, you know, work a lot in, in education and we we do view therapy as an extension of that learning space. Massively. Um, and and that self-development as well.
1: I just kept saying after the first couple I did online of the courses, I just kept saying, I just think everybody needs a bit of this. Even if you're really well, you know, everybody needs these basic. And I think, you know, we we've just missed so much of me being you know, we've missed really important bits of the mental health arena. And I think, like, if you've just got this basic understanding, like little things, and I'll think, right, what are you doing now, Ham? What, you know, what are you trying to achieve you? Why have you, why have you done it in this way? And it's just Mm -hmm. picking apart. And I think, again, a massive part of it is slowing down. I think we all need to slow down. And, you know, that's a, that's a huge thing. Like our society now isn't, We're not designed for the speed that our lives go. Absolutely not. And I think, you know, if you've got that, especially me, I'm a quick bit, like everything's done quickly. I'm reactive. So I've made bad decisions. I've, you know, my head has gone one way before my heart has gone there. And I think we need to, to take that time to sort of think, right, okay, this isn't about you. This is, you know, the wider thing than or this is about you. And you need to do it this way. And, you know, it's just education is
0: huge, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and, you know, if you don't mind me asking in in this much detail, how did the the human given therapist help with the OCD behaviours and the thoughts?
1: I think a lot of it was the unhelpful, I cannot express. And I wish I could remember how it was, because he said, "Oh, and I wish I could remember the example that I said. Mm -hmm. And when he said to me, that's just really unhelpful imagination. So sometimes when it spirals, because it's, it's still spirals, there's still little bits of it there. I've just got the strength now to to rein it in, to harness it in, and and say, right, well now this isn't this isn't Hannah. This is the OCD. And I think you know, learning about it again, it will attack your. You know, so the big thing is is my children. You know. So the other day I was fixated on the middle one being poorly. I thought like seriously poorly mm. to the point where I thought, right, she's going to, she's going to die. She's yeah. going to die. And they start and, it, you know, it snowballs ending, and then it gets bigger and bigger. And before you know it, hearts go in. And I was like, you have got no evidence here that this kid is even poorly. What yeah. are you doing? Why are you doing this? Where's he come from? And it turned out I just had too much work on. Mm. I was so overwhelmed in that area that it attacked yeah.
0: that bit. And yeah. then I was useless in everything. Yeah. So you're able to separate out the OCD from yourself. So this is the OCD over here. This is not yeah. Hannah. And that gives you enough space to be able to go, okay, what check out what's going on. You know, what needs are not being met well for me and almost do an emotional needs audit on yourself really yeah. in that moment to go, okay, is my table balanced? Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, is yeah. my physical table balanced and is my emotional table balanced? And if not, can I see what area that is, and and what do I need to do to create some space so that we can uh, we can find that balance? Is that yeah. right?
1: Yeah, spot on. Yeah. <laughs> you were good. <laughs> <laughs> um, um,
0: yeah. So, and it was interesting what you were saying about when you you know made the decision to stop drinking, and I think it's something that we you know we are seeing more and more, thankfully, in society as people choosing either to really cut down or just to stop. And in universities, we certainly see less people coming through drinking, certainly not in the same way that people were a decade or two decades ago. I think there is a cultural shift perhaps around alcohol. So when you got to that point, and this was interesting to me because I have some family members who've gone through a a similar process and actually the work came was, you know, they they were told you go to rehab to get sober and then you have to sort the stuff out because actually the alcohol's not the problem. Yeah. And the realization that actually the work begins when, yeah. when the effect of the alcohol is stopped or the drugs or whatever it is, is really tough one for people to get through. So having the support there, if you are making that step, having the support there around that to scaffold you through that journey, I think is so important, isn't it?
1: It's I know, like, it's, and when I look back now, I remember we went down to Ogmore, which is a beach not far from you, on the weekend. On a, And I think I was like, I think I must have been like 10 days sober, which was massive, you know? I was, I, I drank, I would never have gone 10 days. I would never have gone the weekend, definitely. So 10 days was massive. And I remember saying to Scott, take a picture of me on the beach because I just felt, I felt so different. And I felt like poorly. I felt like I should have been in hospital. Mm-hmm. And this is like When I talk about The vulnerability of it You know when you're a kid And you lay on the sofa When you were ill And you know People would bring you Lucas in And you'd watch daytime TV And think you were like Oh my god This is way too grown up for me That's what I felt like I needed mm-hmm. I felt like I, You know I couldn't understand Why nobody else Could see How like Poorly I was uh-huh. And um, I've got this photo Of me on In Ogmore And I think It must have been like Nine days in Because I at one point I was putting pictures And then writing the the, you know, on the camera, like nine days. And I remember thinking, oh my God, you even look different. <laughs> it's like, I think he's really underestimated mm. how horrible, you know, I, people relapse. It's not the alcohol, it's definitely or, or the drug or the whatever. It's because you're just dealing with all this stuff that you've never, ever even thought about before. Mm. And it's horrible. It's horrible. And I remember reading something about willpower that you'd have to train your willpower like you would train a muscle.
0: Mm.
1: So every day I would envision my willpower as a muscle and I would think, right, you're going to lift something with that today. And, it, you know, it's just such a strange, strange time.
0: Mm. That's not
1: talked about at all You you talk about people giving up And then you talk about how great their life is after And I remember getting to about three months in as well And crying because my friend Jimmy Watkins He's sober and he's about a year in front of me And I remember seeing it on his Instagram He was like, great things just happen now Because I'm sober And I remember crying to Scott going But good things happen to Jimmy And they're not happening to me Because it was just so horrid So, Mm. you know I mean, it passes and once it passes,
0: it's brilliant, but goodness me. And I think, you know, you've just given an amazing example. One of the the things that we we talk about in in Human Givens are are the maxims or or principles of psychology. And one of them is that your imagination is stronger than your will. So the imagination is always going to win out over willpower. Our willpower is actually really quite weak. So when you were imagining, using your imagination to metaphorically strengthen that willpower, It was harnessing the power of the imagination um, over the willpower.
1: I think you have to give your imagination something to do as well, don't you?
0: Absolutely. Your imagination
1: needs to be entertained all the time. Mm -hmm. And of course, when you've got a glass in your hand that's full of wine that sort of dulls that imagination, Mm -hmm. you're fixing the problem so you need you know and this is where i think this is where everything's been sort of brilliant time that i started writing again and that i started running again properly and you know because i couldn't i couldn't run like i i used to because i was i was just hanging all the time you know mm. but your imagination definitely needs entertainment i felt once we passed the vulnerable side it was like being a kid again so we'd be on the beach and I think I don't see the point in this because I'm not I'm not drinking. You know, all my friends were having a glass of wine because they could have one glass of wine, you know? Yeah. They were necking a bottle and then going back to the caravan and drinking cans of gin or whatever. Yeah. And I remember thinking, you have to start seeing the joy in things again. You have to think like a child because I'd look at my little girl, like she was six, six seven at the time. and She'd be just whooping with joy on the beach because it's such a joyful experience. And so I started to to think, right, what would you do if you were a kid? You know, this would be a playground now. So start mm-hmm. thinking, like, and so I started having fun again, which was, you know, really alien because I'd been in a rugby club since I was
0: 15. So <laughs> drinking Guinness. <Yeah. laughs> so it kind of released that creativity as yeah. well, I guess, yeah. and uh, enabled you to, to refine your, you know, your writing. And, and is that where Wonderful Woman came from as well?
1: So Wonderful Women is a funny thing So it's all Big Moose related again I'm so grateful I walked through those doors that day A, because they saved my life And B, because they changed my life And Big Moose were running at things There's a girl called Kelly Powlin Who is a fantastic woman Who runs an event called Fierce Femmes in Cardiff Where three phenomenal women get up and speak about their businesses, about their lives. And it's really empowering and it's fantastic. And every time I leave there and I'm coming up 8470, I think, I wish we had this in the valleys. I really wish because I am surrounded by incredible women that may not have an Instagram platform, that may not have a 75,000 turnover a month, you know. And my my first gut reaction was like, I'm going to ask Kelly to bring this to Mirtha because I think Murtha needs it. And then my next one was like, sometimes you have to be the change. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to, to be the change. Like I want my girls to know that this is the most natural type of event ever where women get up and they support each other and they listen to each other and they help each other. And that's what's that's what's come out of wonderful women. So it's very so I basically mirrored Waffle's femmes do, mm-hmm. but what happened is completely different. <laughs> it's it's so wholesome and these women helping each other and there's been loads of brilliant work we're six months in in March now and the stuff that's coming out of it is just incredible I wish we could bottle so we did a survey this time so we asked the women how they felt when they came in how they felt halfway through and did they leave feeling empowered and the feedback was amazing it was like, oh, the the words were like beautiful. They were like, um, I've got a new energy. I'm really empowered. All these like amazing things. So it's not just my perception that which makes me feel a lot better because I was just banging on about these events going, oh, my God, they're brilliant. I wish we could bottle it. So, yeah. So we've got these events running and we're hoping it'll sort of we'll have like a mentoring system. So these these incredible women were you know, changing the world slowly
0: and surely. Are going to be able to help other people change the world slowly and surely. So, so, an amazing, yeah. you know, sense of community and connection there within within that group. Yeah, um, and if you if you bring it back, it meets all of my needs, all of your needs. That's exactly <laughs> what I was just going to say. You know, oh. that, you know, so much um, meaning and and purpose there, Hannah. But it's interesting because I think it was Johan Hari who said that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety; it's connection. Oh, <laughs> I like that. And I think that's something when, you know, you're, you're as you said, you know, you're blocking things off. You're losing that connection, aren't you? So to be able to bring that connection back into your life in a massive way and the platforms that you do that on are incredible. You've mentioned running a, f- a few times. How does running help? Running is for me. So I've done a lot of work
1: on this as well, because Obviously, I started running initially for weight loss. We'd been in Cardiff and I mistook my reflection for someone else's on a night out. Someone who was a little bit heavier than me. And I was like, oh, God, I'm going to have to do something. So I'm going to start running. So I set out to run the entirety of Merthyr Tidville one night. And obviously that didn't work very well because A, I went in Scotts Baraclava and the police picked me up. <laughs> and. Obviously I had not moved Since PE in like 1996 So you know I was never ever Going to do more than Probably 20 metres And so the weight The weight loss Drew me in And then I I say it clicked It never actually clicked I I don't enjoy running In the sense of I think right I can't wait for this It's hard work You know Mm -hmm. It doesn't come naturally to me But what it is Is a really safe space Mm -hmm. It's a safe space And I Like my head goes Like many of us miles an hour all the time when I'm running I've got nothing literally nothing I tried to listen to an audiobook the other day running and I couldn't because it just wouldn't
0: go in no it's really interesting so I can't either and I was thinking, oh I should be listening to this like no when I'm running I'm running I can't yeah no yeah so it's a
1: really safe space it's quite meditative for me, I suppose. Is it, is that the word? Meditative, Medi- meditation, yes, meditation. Nice. <laughs> That'll do. <laughs> That'll do. Nah. Um, you know, I, the, the, I suppose the rhythm of it, the the process of it, mm-hmm. I, and I literally, and I, cause I was thinking the other day, I was like, you've got nothing in your brain at the moment, apart from this, that you've got nothing in your brain. Uh, for a long time, I used to say, oh, I work all my problems out. I don't. I don't do anything. It's literally however far I'm running, there is nothing in there. It's
0: so important for me. Mm. Just gives you that, you know, takes you offline a little bit, gives you that yeah. space. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: Cause I'm a, you know, like obviously I'm I'm a massive Instagram fan. I'm a massive social media fan. But you will never find me taking pictures mid-run. You will never find me online when I'm running. You will never, you know, you'll never get me on the phone. You will straight after. I check in straight away because otherwise it didn't happen. But you will never, ever find me doing that. And, you know, I really sort of admire the influencers who can run with their phone and talk about it all the time. I can't do that. And I, I wouldn't want to do
0: that because it loses its sacredness for me then. So, So, again, something that's meeting, you know, your physical need for movement and yeah daylight and all of that as well as a huge amount of emotional needs as well I know I've made it sound a bit easy because and
1: this is what I think this is what well people do all the time and this is why I think poorly people get missed because I've made it sound easy and it's not easy getting up for a run is not easy you know it's hard work and I never want to go
0: you so, know Hannah after the police chase through Merthyr Tydfil, how did yeah. you get into running from then did you so do a slow I, process
1: Mm, yeah yes no i signed up for cardiff half straight away i had no concept of distance or anything like that but i'd seen a girl i went to school with (laughs) i'd done the cardiff half and i was like she was on the pe bench more than me if she can do it i'm definitely all right and then we we got married in the july and that was the october and then i'd run cardiff half and i was like oh my god that was great i love that um can we try for a baby (laughs) <laughs> so <laughs> we started trying for a baby And it didn't work out how I wanted it to And we had a couple of miscarriages Which are horrific things to go through Especially when you've got, you know Well, there's no especially to it They're just horrific things to go yeah. through And I, we managed to get pregnant after some intervention From a Chinese doctor, firstly Who used to give me acupuncture and beat me up, basically <laughs> <laughs> and some metformin uh, which is a diabetic drug and then we had blossom and she's she was this absolutely perfect little dark curly-haired baby and everything was great and then I got pregnant again and we had a really nasty miscarriage which saw me hospitalized and I remember thinking you've got everything you want in the, I was in the hospital bed So Blossom was with Scott She was one And I was in the hospital bed Because my cervix had gone into shock And oh it was just And I remember thinking You can't keep doing this You've got everything you want You know you can't You, you don't need another baby This is you know So I was like what am I going to do So I was like I know I'll run a marathon So I applied to run for Bliss um, mm-hmm. yeah. That night in the hospital bed On my phone And they asked me how I was going to raise the money And I was like, "Mm, I know I'll write a book. I'll write a book so all my family and friends can buy it and then they'll read it. And at the end, I'm going to say, look, you've paid like 99p for this. Please sponsor me. (laughs) So I thought at least like if 10 of my friends read it and give me a tenner, we're already 100 quid up. So that's what I'm going to do. So I I applied that night, told them this fundraising idea. And I heard a couple of days later then they were like, oh, my God, we love this idea. And I was like, "Uh oh, now we've got to run a marathon and we've got to read a, a a book. But I was like, at least I'd be too tired to have sex then. So we can't get pregnant again. So that was the whole, that was literally the whole thinking process behind it all. And yeah, I wrote the book and I run the marathon. And then I got my job with Run Wales and it's just been running ever since. So... Mm-hmm. Because I I was really desperate for everybody to run. I was, you know, when same as like when you become a non-drinker and you're like, don't do, don't drink. It's bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's yes. like so you I've just become one of those really annoying people now. Um, but when you run, I just wanted everybody to have a little bit of that, however, a lot. And I'm still a massive, massive advocate for that.
0: So I think your, your role really took you out encouraging people into yeah. running, you know, people yeah. who'd never thought or people who were, you know, running's not for me. I'm not somebody who runs, which I think is where a lot of us, I was never somebody who ran at, at school. I didn't start running until after I'd had my first baby. And, you know, I was, yeah, it takes courage, yeah. I think, to run. You know, if you've yeah. been the person on the, on the bench in PE. And so that's been your role really, is yeah. to go out and really encourage and inspire people um, yes. with some self-belief that they can do it. And they don't have to run marathons. They can just
1: absolutely run absolutely not. You know, yeah. for,
0: for absolute fun of it.
1: Yeah. And I will I think until the day I die, um, I mean, I've just given my notice in with Run Wheels and it's been an incredible six years. But I do think till the day I die, I will always Carve out safe spaces for women, especially to run.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it's so important. If if everybody ran, the world would be a much better place. So I will always fly that flag. I will always champion that, whatever role I'm in. So really important.
0: So happily, you did go on to have another two amazing, oh, yeah. gorgeous little then. girls. <laughs> couldn't um, stop us. <laughs> and- so what's, what's next for you then, Hannah? You said you've recently handed in your notice with Run Wales and have we got yeah. something else on the card? I'm hoping I, well again,
1: I blame FIASFM and things like this. So I've been sat around with all these incredible women, you know, taking their own path. And I just thought, I think my role has been fantastic. The organisation have been brilliant. Welsh Athletics are fantastic. You know, they've really held my hand through some terrible times. they let me have free reign with a lot of my ideas, but I just feel like I can probably do more good without the restraints of actual employment. So I'm, I think I'm obviously doing the human givens diploma You are with the, the view to be a psychotherapist at the, the very end, but I think I'm going to go into some mentoring at the moment, but I don't like that word. So I'm thinking, I, I called myself a change maker yesterday. Yesterday, I was like, I'm going to call myself a change maker. So when I walk into a room and someone says to me, what do you do? I'm going to go, I'm a change maker and they're all going to hate me, but I'm going to feel really powerful. So,
0: And I think that's a, a really good starting point. And it's something that you'll hear even given therapists say quite a bit, you know, and indeed something you may learn on the language skills, that it's, uh, it's always a good day for a change. Yeah, always, always.
1: And I I mean, you know, when I when I scraped everything back, I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to change things. Mm-hmm. I want to change things. So my my girls have an easier time, have a better time than I did. You know, and I think that's that's my dupe, That's my responsibility, my duty. And i I'm pretty sure it's my purpose. So I'm really proud of myself. I think it's a really brave move what I've done mm-hmm. in the last couple of weeks because it could all fall flat on its bum. <laughs>
0: but hopefully. In a couple of years, I would have made some, you know, radical differences, hopefully. Mm. And I think, you know, that's something that you're already doing, Hannah, isn't it really? You know, the platforms that you share your story on and the events that you are involved in and, and that you organise and you share your story with such raw honesty and in such an authentic way and you've no doubt helped so many people already I mean, and I'm, I, I know that somebody has been in touch haven't they to say
1: yeah yeah I uh, had a message a couple of days ago of someone saying you won't know this but in January you saved my life and, and it makes it worth it because sometimes I press publish and I you know I want to curl up on the floor and hide but I also never ever want anyone to feel like they're the only one Because I did for so long and I might not have been here if someone hadn't worked that out, you know, and because someone said to me a couple of weeks ago, oh, you're very close to the mark sometimes. And I was like, right. And she was like, I can't read some of your things because I feel really uncomfortable. And I was like, are you all right? And she was like, no, not really. And I had to spend 20 minutes then sort of referring her into -hmm. Big Moose because, you know, and she just needed that. She just needed that reassurance. Mm-hmm. you know, so she needed to to challenge me first, which was a bit uncomfortable, but it makes it all worth it. And I think I, you know, I will do it till I die because at the thought of my little girl feeling like I did, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, must not happen. It'll
0: never happen. So. And the work that you do to break down the stigma around talking about mental health, I think is invaluable really. And something that's much needed. As you said, you spent a First half of your life in silence on it. It didn't get yes. shared. It, it wasn't seen. It was an invisible illness. Um, yeah. Hopefully breaking down these, these barriers to being able to talk about it will increase people's access to really valuable help like you've received. Yeah. Coming towards the end of the time that we have, Hannah, was there anything else that you wanted to add today? Um,
1: I don't think so. I think. If anyone takes anything away from this, I think um, we had a brief conversation a couple of days ago when we were talking about this, that I've made the full circle journey now and I'm on the the sort of metaphorical train to becoming a a psychotherapist. And I said to you, one of my biggest fears was that I didn't think I'd have the capacity. And a lot of people were quite concerned that I wouldn't be up up to the job sort of thing. And I, you know, if anyone takes anything away from this again, I just think you've got to back yourself firstly, which has been one of the biggest learning curves of the last couple of years. There's only you to back yourself. You back yourself as far as you want to. And I don't think, don't be afraid. You know, I spoke to John Hawker when I I was deciding to come on to the diploma and he said to me, some of the best therapists out there are the ones with battle scars. Mm. And I think that's really important for people to hear that, Yeah, I've been through it. You know, if you would come to me, say, 10, 15 years ago, I thought, is she going to be a therapist? Absolutely no way, you know, because I was on the floor. Mm -hmm. And I think if anyone takes, you know, there's hope there. There's massive hope.
0: and Absolutely, Hannah. And I think, you know, the the key thing to all of that is having that self-awareness and the knowledge that you are now in a place where you do feel well and that humility, to know that we're we're humans and that yeah. we're, you know, we can all be vulnerable. And it's about knowing when to take that step back if we are yeah. struggling. Absolutely. Um, that, you know, the humility to know when to take that step back and the, the self-awareness really of, you know, of, of where we are with ourselves. But you're absolutely um an advocate and a, a great example of, you know, somebody with their battle scars as as John Hawker said, um being able to come through and make those changes for yourself yeah. and for others of you as well. And it's
1: possible. It's possible. So I think that's absolutely. that's important. And that's where I'd like to end on. <laughs>
0: Okay. Well, you know, Hannah, thank you so much for sharing your story. You really are a, an inspiration to many. And we are really pleased that you've decided to start your training We're through Human Givens College and looking forward to having you on, on the diploma. So you can find out more about Big Moves and the brilliant work that you do in the link in the podcast description. And if you would like to explore the Human Givens approach and the training that we offer, you can find out more by visiting our website. The link for that is also in the podcast description. So thank you again, Hannah, so much for talking to us today. We very much look forward to you know seeing your journey in the future. And thank you too for our listeners for tuning in. Until next time, goodbye. If you've been affected by any of the issues in this podcast and would like to work with a human givens therapist, then the link to the register can be found in the podcast description, along with some trusted organisations, charities or helplines that may also be able to assist you or a loved one.